Yeah. Good morning, all. Now, I've normally got just the one text of night. I'm a very fun text person. Well, I've got three this morning. So you're going to be up to one at least. No, seriously. Um, and we come to that now as we, we move along. Um, how many times have you heard it? The Bible is God's love letter. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and the problem is now is that because you've heard that so many times, it kind of washes over you like a, a piece of information that you know and that you've heard before. And really, the Bible is a love letter becomes a bit like the circulars that you get through your door. You know those annoying things that say, to the occupier. And the first time you see one of them, you think, oh my gosh, this must be important. And you tear it open to find it's boiler cover. Or PPI. Or uh, life insurance. Or any of those sorts of things. And, and, and then after the first couple of to the occupiers, what do you do with the next one? Well, you don't open it, do you? You chuck it in the bin. Because it's not relevant. It's, it's rubbish. And very often... Because we can buy Bibles, we can own Bibles, we hear the Bible read, we hear it preached about, that it stops being this incredible love letter and it becomes no better than a circular. Which sometimes we read out of duty and sometimes we listen to out of duty when we would rather really be on Facebook or we would rather be somewhere else, right? Well, what about if we look at that word again? The Bible is a love letter. Right, how many people when they were caught in had love letters? Keith, Mary, my father. Nobody, nobody else. <laughs> Me, right? Yes, he needs his, to put his hand up because he, he's had loads of them. Right, okay. Well, I've still got all mine, all four of them. <laughs> right, he's got an envelope full that's about that thick. I doubt if he's still got them. No. <laughs> right? I know exactly where he wrote them from, what he said. I can tell you on word for word, maybe because there weren't a lot of words. Right? I, why is that important? Well, because a love letter is not like a circular. It's meant for you. And you alone. It's not the occupier. Is it? No. And yet, I mean, my, my letters from John are very well worn. Sometimes the edges are a bit frayed because I've read them over and over and over again. Oh. Well, yes, I'm a born romantic. I can't help myself. Okay? But my point is, is how frayed is your Bible? Yeah. Uh, it was Liv Richard that coined the phrase, when a Bible's well used, the devil's not abused. It's very true. So, you, you don't put it in the bin, do you? Now, if I was to say to you this morning, do we all want to know God? Do we all want to find God and experience God? I would have said that you would have all said yes, wouldn't you? Yes. 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 Okay, right. Okay, I'll come amongst you. I'll on us. Right. So, in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, we all know this verse, okay? Um, and if you, I read it out of the NMB just to get me going. Uh, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay. Now here's the voice translation. You will look for me intently and you will find me. Here's the amplified. Then with a deep longing you will seek 
earnestly and require me as a vital necessity and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When you come looking for me, you will find me. And here's uh, the message. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I will make sure that you will not be disappointed. Now, there's a bit of a difference there, yeah. isn't there? Okay. When you seek me or you search me with all of your heart, the word for heart is the word led. And, and even though to a, a Jewish person, your heart was the center of you, it was your emotions and your thoughts and your decision-making processes, really, if you could sum up the word heart from a Jewish perspective, it would be with all of your passion, with all of your desire. So we're not just seeking God as a cursory thing. We're not just seeking God to get a promise to help you, you know. It's not a promise box where you flip and, you know, stick the pin in and there it is. Okay? So it's seeking God with all of your heart, with all of your passion. You will find me, God says. The word is matzah, and it means to discover, it means to acquire, to possess, and also, funny translation, to reap. Now, how do you reap a harvest? Don't tell me with a combine harvester. I mean, the, the only way you can reap a harvest is if you plant it for one. Yeah. So searching for God is the planting part. Reaping is God speaking to me when I read his word. Yes, that's the love letter part. But we've still got to put the planting part in. We've got to put the effort in before we actually get to reaping the harvest and before we get to discover God for ourselves. So it's the picture here of searching for something that is very, very precious in order to claim it for yourself. Now they'll tell you in college, if they can't find a book, I'm a man on a mission. I look on all the sites to try and find it, the cheapest one they can have without postage, right? On Friday, we went to Cardiff again to look for a dress for the wedding, right? Again. We walked through Debenhams and we're picking up dresses now, right? I've got five over my arm and Sarah's got two. And she's going, now mum, now when you get in there, now don't rush now mum, because it's often there now as it is, right? And, you know, putting... Right, so we find this dress, and I say, it's, it fits, fits you, I was thrilled. <laughs> it fits, it's fitting you, and she can't do the zip-up in the back. She said, it's your shoulders, man. Do something with your shoulders. I said, what am I supposed to do with them? So she said, it's, this, this zip is funny. I said, all right. Well, I said, look, go and see if they've got a bigger size. I said, I don't care what number it is, it's as long as it fits. Out she goes, does it fit? This can you buy one? I've looked online. I know what seeking with all of my heart is like, right? I really do want this dress. I really do. And when I get it, I will claim it as a precious possession because I have spent hours of my life trying to find it. But are we like that with this? That, that's, that's the point I think that I'm trying to make this morning. Um, it's our all, our passion given to finding God when we read it, okay? Because if we are 
plan or a Bible study or something because I want to be guided. This is more than that. This is searching for God. Not just getting something from him. It's the giver, not the gift that we're talking about you. When I was in uni, one of my professors uh, said, all you lot, he said, you all have the potential for doing a doctorate. Just thought that was lovely, you know. But he said, most of you won't. He said, because you're not willing to sacrifice what it takes to get there. And what he meant was, if we wanted to do that, we'd have to spend hours at the library and hours studying and even more hours in the lab until we knew what we knew, backwards, forwards and sideways. And he was right. Because they didn't all do a doctorate. I think I didn't see the light of day for an X number of months when I was doing my, my degree. But I wanted it! I wanted it! And so you sacrifice to get it. Now the question is, is that when we pick this up, how much do we want to hear God? How much do we want to seek God? We say we want him, but how bad do we want him? Well, in the Old Testament, it's quite an interesting thing actually. There are two expressions that are used over and over again. So-and-so, so-and-so has said in his heart. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then there is another expression, he said to his heart. Okay, so for example in Genesis, and the Lord said to his heart, I will not again curse the ground for the sake of madness after the flood. Can you see the difference? One is saying in his heart, the other one is saying to his heart. Now there is a difference. To the fool, it's his passions, his desires, his wants, his needs that are guiding him. So he says, in his heart. In other words, his heart is ruling him. Whereas when I say to my heart, I am ruling my heart. I am in control of my desires and my wants and all the rest of it. And God wants us to be like that. He wants us to speak to our hearts and say, this is how it's going to be. This is what I want when I come here. I am not going to be rushed. I, I'm not, not going to be uh, fogged off. I'm, I'm not, not going to stop just because I haven't seen anything in the first 30 seconds. I am going to say to my heart, I want to hear you, God. I want to hear you. So, okay. So, we've decided now that that's all we're going to do. We're going to stick to our hearts and we're going to come to the word of God. So, what should we expect? Now, I mean, you know, I've heard people say this. That verse just came out and hit me. What? Well, I've had that, haven't you? Yeah. But does that happen every time you read? Especially if you're wading through Deuteronomy or Numbers or something, or Leviticus. You know, you, you, you really try to keep your concentration sometimes, and verses don't just come out and slam into you as this divine revelation. Okay? So I'll say it again. What do we expect to happen when we speak to our hearts and say, yeah, I want to hear from you, God. Well, in Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, I'm going to read the verse in a minute, but if you 
you've ever read the book of Habakkuk, you will know here is a man full of questions and complaints to God. Why is this happening? I don't understand. Why are the wicked prospering? I don't understand. Why have you ignored your people and they're in a mess and the Assyrians are coming? You know, why, 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 why? And, and there are several what we call complaints and then there are God's answers, okay? And in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And here's the message. What is God going to say to my questions? I'm praised for the worst. I will climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he will answer my complaint. Now then, question. How can you see what God says? Surely that should be, I will hear what God says, or I will see what God's doing. But you can't see what God says. How can you see words that are coming out of God's mouth? Now, I thought when I read that chapter that that was a bit odd. Are, are, you, are you with me? Now, can I just say, if you see something in God's word that doesn't sit or is a bit odd, it's a bit like a little flag that waves at me and says, notice me. And don't let go of the little flag until you understand why it's waving at you. Okay? So, I will see. Now the word is ra'a. And it does mean to see in the sense I can see the plaque at the church or I can see Meg and he's sitting at the back. Right? Or I can see Uzeki waving his leg. Right? I can see it. But it also means to perceive spiritually. So we would say I see the motivation behind that. When you can't actually see it at all. What you really mean is you are perceiving it. Right? Now the word watch, the first word for watch, I will stand at my watch, is the word shamar. And shamar is a shepherding word. It's actually used of a shepherd guarding his sheep from things like wolves and lions and bears and all the rest of it that would come to kill the sheep. I tried to find a word in English that would convey the idea, and I think the only one that I can think of is the word bodyguard. Because if you look at a bodyguard, um, you know, and we've all seen plenty of films about the CIA and the FBI and all of them, okay, what, what the president is walking is me and he's surrounded by his bodyguard. What are they doing? Well, they're not looking at the president. They are looking at the crowd. And they're looking at the crowd to see things that you or I are not looking for. They're watching for the glint of a gun. Or possibly someone that is moving through the crowd with intent towards their charge. I, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the president. Because after all, he's the person that we've all come to see. Or the queen or whoever it is. The bodyguard isn't. The bodyguard is looking at the crowd to make sure there is no imminent threat to the person they are guarding. So when Habakkuk says, Whoa! When Habakkuk says, I will stand on my watch, he means that I am going to look for things in here that no one else is looking for. Mainly because, not because I'm better than you or you're better than me, is I'm looking for things 
that God wants to speak to me through, that he may not use those same things to speak to you. So I'm on the lookout for little flags. I'm on the lookout for things that God is... Yeah? The second word for watch, I will stand at my watch, and I will station myself on my ramparts, okay? The second word for watch is not the same word. It's the word sanaf. And if, it's, if it was a noun, it would mean watchtower. But literally, it means a forecast watch. So a man on a watchtower is looking for what? He's looking for a messenger that perhaps is coming with news. Or perhaps he's looking for, um, you know, a bunch of people that are in trouble and what they go on, open the gates or whatever. So his watch is focused. So he's not standing up on his watchtower looking at the scenery. Nothing oh, what a lovely day. Oh, look, there's some birds nesting over there. Oh, look, so-and-so, so-and-so has got her washing out. Right? He's not doing that. It is a focused watch. So when we come to God's word, we are, yes, looking out for little flags, but we are focusing ourselves on God. Now, I'll tell you something now. That is not easy. I've got three kids. That is not easy, says Helen. <laughs> Man, can I have? Yes. Can you do it? You know, Charlotte hit me. She's not sharing. I can do it. Okay. She's breathing on me. That's right, yeah. Every day of the week. Uh, but hang on a minute. I haven't got three kids. I've only got one. And she doesn't, she does say nothing, but she doesn't do it like that. Right? But there's a letter coming. Uh, oh, I put it on your chair. Perhaps you need to sort that out if you could. So what do you want to do now? You want to read the letter, yeah? But you're looking at this. So the temptation to pick up the letter and put this down is the same as, bam, she's breathing on me, isn't it? It's a distraction. It wants to pull me away. So if I'm standing on my watchtower, my sun up, I have got to be focused on what I'm doing. And sometimes you have to move yourself from the letter and the children in order to be focused because they'll keep on battering you with stuff that's going to drag you away. And it's going to be different for you than it is for me, than it is for Helen, than it is for Zoe, than it is for anybody. Okay, I will watch, I will see what God says. Now then, the word debar is normally translated say or said, and it generally has to do with God's creative word. Okay? God said like be, like was. But the other meaning of debar in Hebrew is God's heart's cry. I will focus my watch. I will not be distracted. I will look for things that other people are not looking for. And then I will hear God's heart cry. Oh, I thought that was absolutely far worse. So, when we're doing all those things, when we're looking for our clues, when we're looking for our little flags, uh, why did he say that? Why did he say that there? Why didn't he say this? I, I wonder why that word is in there, okay? Then we are, what we're really doing is we are listening for God's heart's cry. It's okay. So I found this amazing person here. It flagged itself up to me. I heard God speak. Now, what am I going to do with that? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do with that, Eric. I'm going to get my journal out and say, on the 19th, 
I was in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 1, and I saw this little clue, and God said, da 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 da. Shut up. Well, that's no good at all. It's telling if you've got it, but it's what we're going to do with it when God has spoken, isn't it? So in Psalm 119 and verse 93, uh, which is all about the word of God, isn't it the longest psalm in the, uh, in the book? I will never forget your precepts, for through them you have given me life. And in the Living Bible it says, I will never lay aside your laws, for you have used them to restore my joy and my health. Now the word never, I will never forget, is an interesting word. What's the word for God in Hebrew? Mm. El. And El is spelt Aleph Lamed. Okay, the strong controller. Never or no is Lamed Aleph. It's God backwards. So to forget is to actually say no to God. To remember is to always put God in the center of the picture. Always put God in the center of my world. So to forget God's word is the same as forgetting God. I've just taken him out of the equation of my life. And the word forget, shakat is the word. Now I found something very interesting this week. I've I, been reading a book by a man called Chaim Ben Torah. That's not his real name. Chaim means life and Ben means son and Torah means word. So life from the son of the word, really, okay? And he is a Hebrew scholar. He's not Jewish, uh, but he's a Hebrew scholar. I mean, some of his stuff is absolutely fabulous. And he taught me something that I didn't know. It's good, isn't it? Now, I can tell you all about these pictograms for years of now. You know, Alec being strong controller and all the rest of it. Well, apparently, there are other meanings to those letters which were used by the old rabbis. So this is my next little conquest into the Hebrew. So, Chet, Shin, Kaf are the three letters that make up Shaka. Chet means to bind yourself to God. Shin means the power of God. It's the first letter of Shaddai, isn't it? Almighty. Kaf means a heart filled up. So let's put them together. So how do you remember to put God first? Well, you bind yourself to God, you allow his power to empower you, and then you have his, your heart filled up with you. Yeah. Oh, that was fabulous. Mm -hmm. Don't say that again. Bind yourself to God, allow his power to empower you, and have a heart filled with his wood. And then you will not forget God. You will always have God in the very center of your life. Don't forget what? Don't forget his precepts. Now, the word pakat is used all over the Old Testament for precepts. Sometimes it's translated commands. If you look at the letters, it means what surrounds you and encircles you on your journey of life. So God's word is there to protect you. And God's word is there to direct.
help you to journey of life. Okay? Now that's really good. But there is another word for pakad, which I, I, I know, as I looked at my strong drop down, right, I thought, well, that's an odd thing. I could understand command, instruction, teaching, you know. Visit. Visit. And I've got to say, it took me a while to, for the penny to drop. But when it did, okay. So what's a precept? Yes, it's instructions that allow me to live a journey of life that pleases God. And I have to keep visiting those precepts day after day, day after day, because if I don't revisit it, then it'll just go. Remember my love letter at the beginning? You read it over and over and over again. Why? Well, because you see something different every time. And when you revisit God's word, you see something different and God says something different. So not only is it the instructions that surround us and encircle us on our journey of life, but we must revisit those words every single day. And the result is what? I am finishing. You have used them to restore my joy and my health. Or if you have an NIV, uh, for you have given me life through them. Now the word for life is the way it would high. And it literally means life to its fullest. In the New Testament, it would be abundant life. Okay? And Jesus said, I will give you life and life to the full. Okay? It's the same word. So it's in abundance. So what is David saying? Well, David is saying that he will never forget when he visited God's word, that God spoke to him and he restored him and he gave him life to the fullest. I'm going to read what I've written down here. These visitations of God through his word must be remembered and brought to mind when? Well, when we are depressed, when we are frustrated, when we are fearful, when we are anxious, the memory of God's visitations have got to come to my mind and I've got to remember what God says from his heart to me. And when I remember that, God does something incredible. He restores my health. He has restores my joy. And he gives me life. So I want, I want to really leave you with that this morning. God's love letter. Or a circular. It's our choice. No one can make you do it. I wish I could. Uh, as a parent, you do things for children because it's good for them, not because they want to. You ram medicine down their throat when you know they don't want it. You take them to the doctors, you take them to school, you make them be responsible, respectful, da da da. But they get to an age where you can't do that anymore. That's very frustrating. From a parental point of view, it's very frustrating. Because you can see them making mistakes and you're thinking, don't do that. But they have to make decisions on their own. And so from a leadership point of view, yes, I, no one wants to see you hurt, no one wants to see me hurt, but we can't make you do what's good for you. So I'm, I'm leaving the appeal with God this morning, not me. Love letter or circular?